This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. It is do or die for your Pittsburgh Steelers this Monday night against the Cleveland Browns at Heinz Field. For the second year in a row, the Cleveland Browns come to Heinz Field for a night game where the winner goes home, or excuse me, the loser goes home, and the winner gets to live for another week. It's playoff time now, Jacob. There ain't no two ways about it. Kind of feels like even if the winner wins, the winner will still go home a loser. I think that's probably most likely going to happen, but at least you still get your heart rate monitor to go beep. You get a little blip. Beep. You still get one more week of blips on your monitor, and then who knows? Maybe the team that you just beat on Monday, the Browns, if you do take care of business, if you're the Steelers, take care of business for you against the Bengals the final week of the season because that's the only shot the Steelers have to getting into the playoffs now. They need to win out. The Bengals need to lose out. One more Cincinnati Bengals win, and I believe the division will be clinched for Cincinnati. That's all they need. That's just all they one. need. Just to get, they just need to get to 10. The Ravens, the Steelers, the Browns, they would all be left on the outside looking in if that were the case. So you obviously hate whenever you need help from other teams to get you, in. You, you'd love when you to can't control, control your, own your own destiny. destiny right. But unfortunately, that's the boat that the Steelers are in right now. They needed the Ravens to beat the Bengals last week to have a shot at controlling their own destiny. That did not happen. And now they all look up at Cincinnati, hoping that they stumble and stub their toe down the stretch so that Pittsburgh, Baltimore, hell, maybe even Cleveland – can sneak into the playoffs. Before we get into the Cleveland Browns and, and talk a lot about them in this episode here, because it, biggest game of the year is coming up because it's the only game that matters right now. If you lose, you are literally not going to make the playoffs. You will have an E next to your name. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe not as far as the wild card's concerned, but it would definitely become... Just because of how wild and close things are, yeah. you may not get that E until week 18, until the end of it. But you'd be eed from the division if sure. you lose this oh, yeah. game. And I think the division is the best path to get to the playoffs this year if you're the Steelers. It's your most obvious and clear path. It's it's the I wouldn't say easiest, but it's if you get the division, I mean that's I guess it is easiest because you know you're 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 in the playoffs. Now what I wanted to start with here today was still kind of looking back at that Kansas City game and some of the things that really didn't go right with me and and I heard Mike Tomlin press conference yesterday saying you know he he really put it a lot on the turnovers and can't turn the ball over against a team like that and and expect to be close that's the reason why the game got so out of hand is because we kept giving them opportunity after opportunity and he's right because when you're as bad as the Pittsburgh Steelers are offensively and I'm not going to sugarcoat it they're bad offensively you cannot turn the ball over like they did against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, that flea flicker play where Ben Roethlisberger just threw it up and it was an easy interception. That was just, what, the fourth play of the game for the Steelers, really? I believe. Fifth they play, went, maybe. What, they went three and out or something like that the first drive. I think they got, maybe one, they got first a, one first down because down. of Deontay's mm-hmm. nice catch. But that it was that first play of the second drive. First play of the second drive, you run a flea flicker. It gets picked off. The Chiefs go down. They score again. It's 14 to nothing all of a sudden. Fast forward into the game, Deontay Johnson really loose with the football. I mean, these are the mistakes that a team that's as offensively challenged as the Steelers are simply simply cannot make. You simply cannot make them, not only against teams that are juggernaut status like the Chiefs, but mm-hmm. 
if you throw three interceptions or if you turn the ball over four times against the Cleveland Browns, against even the New York Jets or Houston Texans, you're probably not going to win the game. Hell, look at the Tennessee Titans just a couple weeks back. They threw four turnovers and the Steelers end up winning a game that they probably shouldn't have won because of that turnover disparity. If there aren't any of those turnovers in that second half especially, right, three consecutive drives for the Tennessee Titans, three consecutive turnovers all in their own territory. I don't think the Steelers win. Steelers do not win because that's nine points that they have on their side only because of the opportune field position that they were put in thanks to those turnovers. If those turnovers happen... As the Titans were driving and they're in Steelers territory, and essentially it's just a long punt or something that the Steelers recover, starting in their own territory again, they went, I think, three and out twice, yeah. and they had one first down on the third drive that they had. Uh, so that's zero points for them. Even if it's if it's not a long Tennessee drive, if it is a punt, and they're at their own 40 or maybe even at the 50, Tom, that's not enough. That's not close enough for Chris Boswell to get into range. And one big criticism of this team, or one noticeable criticism of this team, has been Boswell's uh, inconsistencies as of late. He's missed a couple of field goals. He's missed a couple of extra points. But still, when you're lining up at your own 50, or maybe in, even in the Titans' 40-yard line, that's not nearly close enough for Chris Boswell to kick a field goal. No doubt in my mind, those turnovers don't happen. The Steelers lose that game. Chris Boswell, yeah, I guess you could say he's had some disappointments this year, but he also might be the most valuable player on the offense. Sure, because he's won you a handful of games yeah. on on his foot alone. I don't know where they'd be without him. They certainly wouldn't still be alive in Week 17 right now. No, if things had gotten bad after that that fake field goal when he went down with a uh, concussion, if it was Josh Scobie who they brought in, I always forget. I always say Josh Scobie because it was Josh Lambeau who they brought in another Jaguars kicker, similar to Josh Kobe, the way they did so in 2015 when Sean Sweeson first went down. But if they had brought Josh Lambeau in this year, I don't think this team would have as many wins as it did, no, I, or I, as it does right now. No, I agree. I think you need an uh, all-pro caliber kicker on this team to I have a question. scratch away the points that you have. You mentioned all-pro. Is there a second-team all-pro for kickers and punters? I'm not punters? sure about that. I don't think so. I think it's just I you're you either get, in or you're not. You either get the first team nod or you're, you're so just he's not, not going to get it. Yeah, I don't think he is either because Justin Tucker is just a freak. If you're if you're in the National Football League at the same time as Justin Tucker, you're not going to get all. Yeah, exactly. It's like being a golfer at the same time as Tiger Woods' sure. height, and you're just not going to win as many tournaments as you should because he's just the all world, uh, the staple, the the gold standard when it comes to kicking in the NFL. But back to the turnover thing, you have to play almost perfect if you're the Steelers' offense and. There's a lot of things we're going to jump into right now about, you know, slow starts and their lack of ability to get some push in the running game. But I think all of those things can kind of be worked around as long as you're controlling the ball. Whenever you give the ball to the other team, it's via a punt. It's via they have to go at least 70 yards, 65 yards to get into range, to get into the end zone. I think teams that struggle mightily, on the offensive side of the ball and lack identity on the offensive side of the ball, like the Steelers really do, can find their identity in protecting the football and not turning the ball over. And the Steelers, I think, really have done that for the most part mm-hmm. pretty decently well this year. I think that's part of the main reason why they're at seven wins right now is because of their ability to do that. But you saw it kind of unravel against Kansas City last week, and I'm not saying that if they were perfect and didn't turn the ball over at all and punted every time they needed to 
to get off the field that they would have beaten the Kansas City Chiefs in that game. But I do think it would have been maybe a little bit closer than 36 to 10. And I definitely think that if you just control the ball in this game against the Browns and just make sure you don't give them short fields or momentum swinging plays, I think you can sweep them this year and get a win at Heinz Field. Well, how excuse me, how ironic is it that two things come to mind when you consider the last time these two teams took the field? A, it was the last time the Steelers didn't allow over 100 yards on the ground. Uh, and that that game was what I believe the second to last Halloween. week of October. Oh, it wasn't the last week of October, and it was the last time the Steelers won a road game. So two things That's that wild. seem completely impossible for this team right now: winning on the road, even performing well on the road, right? Because that Chargers game again, fluky. The Chargers really should have that game wasn't as close. I know it was only four points, but wow, the Chargers ran away with that one, forty-one to ten. In Minnesota, uh, I'm sorry, in Cincinnati, 36-28 final in Minnesota, but we all know how the first first half went for the Steelers, and then this past week, 36-10 against the Chiefs. The Steelers have not been playing well on the road. They have not been playing well against the run, but the last time they did well as either a road team or against the run, it was against the Cleveland Browns. So, potentially, a little foreshadowing, they know how to handle this team well. I was doing the advanced scout last night with Matt Williamson, though. You can check that out wherever you find your podcast right now, breaking down the Cleveland Browns. And we were we were talking about how good the Steelers did against that rushing attack the first time these two teams met. I don't know. Call me crazy. I think you're kind of poking the bear if you are expecting, expecting that again. Yeah, exactly. I think Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, if Kareem Hunt can play in this game. Kareem Hunt was Johnson, out for that game. Keep that in mind. I just, I just think that it's so hard to keep those or that type of player, Nick Chubb, down back to back, not back to back games, but back to back times you played them. Sure, but just, I mean, and consider the circumstances. Kareem Hunt was out for that game, and Nick Chubb had been battling injuries throughout, and he had been battling with the COVID protocols as well. So he wasn't lining up every week. So he wasn't one hundred percent fresh, ready to go every week. Now they're both back. Now they're both healthy. Now they're both ready to go. I I, kinda, I agree with you, Tom. For those reasons, I don't think it's realistic. Not expecting it. I don't think it's realistic for Steelers fans to set an expectation that you're going to have the same results you did the first time you saw them two months ago. Well, I do have an expectation for the Steelers, and unfortunately it's a bad one. It's that they're going to start this game off slow. It's that you they're going to start this game off without scoring any points. What is it now, five straight games they haven't scored a touchdown in the first half of a football game? I mean, that's abysmally bad. Uh, there's so many different stats that we've thrown out here on this show, on all the shows and podcasts we do under the Steelers umbrella, talking about how, you know, not scoring touchdowns for five straight games in the first half and and ever the bad rush attack, the bad pass, like everything boils down to being in the league of teams like the Jets and the Texans and the Jaguars. And this slow starts are at the very top of the list, I think, of all the things that they've been doing poorly mm-hmm. and all the things that are to their detriment. Uh, I, I think earlier in the year, we saw a couple of times, and unfortunately, these games didn't end up in wins all the time, but Deontay Johnson, deep ball, first possession of the game, touchdown. You saw that in Green Bay. You saw that against Cincinnati. Denver. Denver, Denver was one that actually ended up turning out to be a win, but... They had these like big hit scripted plays 
deep balls, shots mm-hmm. that they took to try to get on the board early, to try to get momentum early. And although you fell in two of those games, but you won one of them, I think it was working. I think it was a good thing it to certainly try to, to execute. Yeah, Because this team, when you're so troubled offensively and defensively you're really injured, your depth has been stretched as far as it can be stretched this year, you want to give you you know your defense a lead to work with. Sure. You want to give your offense a lead so you can run the ball and control the ball and not have to worry about chasing a team. So I loved how they were doing that at the beginning of the year. Then they got away from that, and now it just seems like they're just content with a run or short passes and trying to matriculate the ball down the field on this first drive. And that's that's perfect if you can do it. Like what the Chiefs did against the Steelers on their first drive that's what a good offensive team should do when they get the ball first. A nice, long drive that eats up a lot of clock, takes time to move down the field, and ends in six. Steelers don't have the ability to do that consistently. Sure, they can do it from time to time. Anybody in the league can. But to find that consistency to have a drive like that, it's just not going to happen. So I think the one one thing is the way to go. Yeah, the one thing they're consistent at is not controlling the ball. Letting the other team control the football and the time of possession battle. I believe by the end of the first half, Tom, it was split even. 20 minutes time of possession for the Chiefs, 10 minutes time of possession for the for the Steelers. If you lose the time of possession battle by 10 minutes, yeah, that's going to equal most likely a loss. Yeah, 100%. And there's a reason you have the ball for such for such a short amount of time. It's because you're incapable of moving the ball which means you're incapable of getting your team into a scoring position, which means you're not scoring points. Luckily for them in this game against the Browns, what's different from the Chiefs is I'm not afraid to put the Browns' offense on the field. So right. with the Chiefs, you, you, know, you wanted to control that clock and dominate the time of possession because you wanted to keep Mahomes and that offense as far away from infecting the game as possible for as long as possible. Don't feel that same fear with the Browns. Maybe with their rushing attack, and maybe I'll prove to have egg on my face after the game's mm-hmm. over when Chubb runs for 200-plus yards. Possible. But if it's in Baker's hands, I want it to be in Baker's hands more than anybody else on that field. So I'm okay with taking a couple shots. I'm okay with, you know, maybe you go three and out, but you tried to push the ball down the field a little bit to start the game. Just do something different to get things going at the beginning. And a lot of people have thought that the no huddle would be a very popular choice and that we should try to use a little bit more no huddle earlier in games to try to jumpstart things. They don't seem to want to do it unless they get a nice big chunk play that they can run into it with. Mm -hmm. They don't seem to like run the ball with Najee on first down, gets three yards, and then quickly back up to the line and let's do another no huddle. It seems to be we're going to huddle, and then when I hit Deontay on a 17-yard slant route over the middle, then we'll run up and we'll no huddle. So it is getting more and more in the middle of the games than it was before. But I honestly think we should just give the keys to Ben and just have him be a Peyton Manning-esque no huddle offense from the old days of Indianapolis and just go no huddle from start to finish and and see what you got. I mean, it's like Dan Fouts said, it's the last game of the year, basically. You can't hold anything back. I mean, just throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks. And I don't understand why, even at this point... It's not like you're playing for next year. Right. But but still... Even though some Steelers fans think that they should, which is absurd. I, I think it's, it's, it's a no-brainer. Ben Roethlisberger is a better play caller than Matt Canada. Yeah, he should, just be the, he should just be the OC. That's what it comes down to, is I'd rather it be Ben calling these plays than Matt Canada. And I know Tomlin has 
made it very clear to the respective Pittsburgh media throughout the season saying he has a voice in every play call that yes. is made on in all three aspects of the game, special teams, offense, and defense. But And I'm okay with that. But Matt Canada's involvement really does seem to be the the end-all, be-all detriment to the the stagnation of the offense. And I don't know if Matt Canada necessarily is a terrible play caller. Uh, I think there is a learning curve in the NFL. Mike Tomlin said yeah, that he, in his he press conference. Yeah, he mentioned that. You're right. Um, would I bring him back next year? No, I wouldn't. But here's why I think they will. No Ben next year. Going to have a younger quarterback, even if it's Mason, who's going to have a little bit more mobility in him. And not to make excuses for him, because I'll tell you why you shouldn't make excuses in just a second, but Ben Roethlisberger is not the quarterback that is designed to run a Matt Canada-style no. offense. But yeah. here's where I come back around on him. Okay. You have to know that, and you have to adjust your own offense for that. Great point. And the only way I think that you can adjust this offense, since, they, hey, I get it, Matt Canada, you like running offense a certain way. You've been doing it since you were at Pitt, since you were wherever you were before Pitt. This is the kind of offense you like to run. It's not easy to just adapt all of a sudden. So let someone else do the adapting for you. Say, hey, Ben, you take the reins pretty much this year, man. The, what My stuff, it's not working. It's not we can sprinkle you. some of my stuff in here and there. Why don't you take the reins for the most part? Let's run some offense and run some plays that you're really comfortable with. I know that you'll be able to get the maximum out of yourself because you're running plays you're comfortable with. And then next year when I get my quarterback and I can abuse Mason because he's younger or I can abuse a rookie because he's not a Hall of Famer, then I'll put in my offense to the full extent and be able to run it the way that I want to run it. But right now, it's not going to work. What's best for the team is to just let you be the guide and mm-hmm. I'll kind of I'll be the one that kind of helps you out along the way. Another issue I have with Matt Canada is... On the plays where we can tell it's the, it has the Matt Canada touch, where there's a lot going on, those plays just never seem to work. And it's so ironic how we we saw in 2020 those those extracurricular plays of of movement before the snap and any type of in motion guys or jet sweeps or whatever end arounds. We always assumed, and I think we did so correctly. That the, that that play call was a Matt Canada design. Design, yeah. And the one play that really sticks out to to all of us this past week was the fourth down call on the pitch to Najee Harris when it's fourth down and one and it's a pitch. Now I know that's not flashy, but it still seemed like it was an unnecessary move extracurricular when you, all you had to do was gain one yard. Right, the week before against Tennessee, you had lined up. Go to go. What you're on the one you're on the half yard line, right? You run Najee straight forward, he doesn't get it. You run a quarterback sneak with Ben, he doesn't get it. You run another quarterback sneak, he finally gets into the end zone. So even though this wasn't a super creative play and, and teams run pitches all the time, just look at the Tennessee Titans. They love to to, to pitch the ball back to yeah. Derrick Henry. Even though he's starting five yards behind the line of the scrimmage, they have no problem with it. That seemed like it was all Matt Canada, and it's just that's what really irks me, Tom. He's not that type of running back. It's not even that. It's just the play call. Yeah, I, I get that. You it's, it's, string it's, him you're out like you're that. trying to overthink it on a fourth down and one call. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that because you need to know. It, it, that kind of fits back into the, like what I was saying with Ben. You need to know your personnel. You need to know who your guys are. You can't just do plays because you think that the plays are going to work. Right, and I don't know if you saw, 
uh, the CBS broadcast, it went right up to Matt Canner, who's always in the he's always he up was, top. I saw that reaction. Yeah, he 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 was beside himself. How could that not have worked? Well, you had one yard to gain, and you gave the ball back to Najee Harris six yards behind the line of scrimmage. Did you see? Uh, did you see? I'm trying to think now. Who was it? Uh, who made that play? Who blew it up? Was it Bud Dupree? Oh, I'm sorry, Bud Dupree. It wasn't Mel- it was a, Melvin that's Ingram. A yeah, slip it was right there. It was Melvin Ingram. Yeah, yeah, it was. He he sniffed that. one I did out. see that. But not hard to sniff that one out. No. Especially when, but again, you don't, Najee's not that kind of back. I don't want to string him out like that. Um, and the line's not good enough to really right. get get on the move like that. And, I think that's and, the and biggest hit, hit some blocks while they're moving. Why are you trusting your offensive line to lead the way for six yards for Najee Harris a game when they can barely get you one yard? And that brings me to my next point here. The offensive line has not improved a lick all year long. Uh, we know the news happening this earlier this week with Steelers offensive line coach Adrian Clem. It was reported that he was going to leave at the end of the year for Oregon, and then Mike Tomlin told him, you know what, why just don't you just go ahead and get a head start on things You know what now? that tells me? This guy has had no impact on this offensive line whatsoever. Yeah, there's a couple things that I take away from him leaving. I, I think him choosing to leave, although I think he got more money in. Well, no, it has no. I'm not talking about the decision to leave. I'm well, talking about it, the decision or the I know, the allowance by Mike Tomlin to say I know, go but ahead. I think and go. the decision for him to leave also stems from he could probably see the writing on the wall. My offensive line isn't getting any better. I think I might be done after this year. They might move on from me. So. I think he might have thought that this time was numbered, and also well, it could, was it was it was a one and done year. It wasn't even one and done because even because remember Sean Surrett was let go. He could look around and probably see you know a lot of these guys. There's going to be some changes on this coaching staff, and I'm I'm one ripe for that. So he gets out on his own, and then like you said, Mike Tomlin. I mean, it's not exactly like you're losing Mike Munchak for the next two weeks. Right. So I think he can live with the fact that Clem's not there running the offensive line, team meetings and practice drills because. We haven't seen them get better at all this year, and that's partially on the offensive line coach. Obviously, a lot of that goes on the players themselves, but these young, inexperienced, raw players needed to be coached up, especially when you're third-round, fourth-round picks, and you just haven't seen that development really happen yet this year. You you saw a little tick uh, in the middle of the season. You know, The Packers game, they started to get some push, and then... Mm -hmm. That Denver game was a real anomaly. They were bowling people around, and then even the Ravens game, to an extent, there were times when they were really pushing and dominating the front. But those games are the outliers, and sure. they always seem to regress right back to the mean after they have a, a moment where you say, wow, maybe they're starting to figure things out. But it just never seems to be able to find consistency that you need on that offensive line play. And with them being so young... You expected a lot of hiccups along the way, and you expected some learning curves, but I think you also expected to see moments where you'd go, okay, Moore looks like he's starting to round into shape and get it. Okay, Green is starting to figure things out a little bit more. Every week he looks better and better. It's just not happening, especially with Kendrick Green. I mean, there's nothing there you see that inspires you to hope that he can become a a starter in this league. You don't want to call him a bust because it's only been a rookie season. Can he even really be a bust when you're drafted that late, too? Well, that's that's another point I was going to make, too. But is it possible he finds himself off the team in the next three years? Yes. Because what I've seen from him this year... Yes, I do. High I think snaps, it's l- loss of battles at the line of scrimmage after the snaps, 
I think it's possible. And it, it especially stings when you see Creed Humphrey out there. Uh, yeah. Opposite. Cause... So I, I, I heard the guys on the drive talking about this. In hindsight, do you do you really kick yourself for taking Pat Fryermuth over Creed Humphrey? Yeah, And you can make the argument on either side. Because, yes, because you see the disparity of, of, of play between um, Creed Humphrey and... and and our guy Kendrick Green. It's not just that Creed Humphrey might be the best center in football. Right well, that's now. the th- well. Oddly enough, he was snubbed from the Pro Bowl. Kind of questionable. Rookie, maybe a rookie, rookie yeah. snub. But how do you explain then passing up on Pat Fryermuth, who you know is going to be this great offensive weapon for you moving forward? My argument to that would be: say we go back in time and they take Creed Humphrey instead of Pat Fryermuth, and Pat Fryermuth's on. I don't know the Vikings, some random team, and he's playing decent. He does exactly what he's doing for Pittsburgh. There, no one in Pittsburgh is going to be looking be at like, themselves saying, oh, "We could have had Fryermuth, right? Ah, oh, that could have been our." Well, guy. you don't know, and maybe in like two, three years, he I elevates don't... his game. Oh, I think he will. Yeah, and... but this year, no, you're absolutely saying, "Wow, how good could we have been?" How good could Najee Harris have been this year if he had Creed Humphrey blocking for him? Firemuth in the second round was a luxury pick. I mean, that's the kind of guy that you pick when you're really close and he can really put you over the top. And not, I'm not saying necessarily right away this year because tight ends in the NFL tend to develop a little bit slower than other skill positions do. But he's already shown you that he's got the foundation in place to be a top five kind of tight end in the NFL. And that's a guy that can help you win. But the people that make you win are... Your offensive are the line. trenches yeah. up front, D and offensive line, and the Steelers are pretty bad at both sides of those things. They really only have one star between the two sides, and that's Cam Hayward. Other than that, the rest are just pretty average guys. I would say below average. Below average is fair enough. I mean, say. I don't think those guys are average. I think those guys are replacements. So they're repla- they're literally like the Keanu Reeves movie. They're the yep. replacement players for for the strike. But again, with Kendrick Green. You just don't see the ceiling there, Mm-mm. and that's the biggest problem. And that's what Williamson uh, said yesterday, um, or a couple of days ago when he was on the Mark Madden show. You just don't see ceilings with any of these guys. There's no high ceilings. There's no, you know, oh, he has the potential to be really good in a couple of years. It's just really raw right now. All it is is raw play that really doesn't seem to be going up at all in any any facet. I mean, Kendrick Green still has trouble snapping the ball. That's at least one thing you would you would hope to have been able to point to and say, wow, that was bad in week one, but by week 15, that looks a lot different. And it just hasn't been. No, there's been no no improvement from him or, or anyone else. And you can chuck it up to also, it's been a wild ride for the offensive line as a whole, switching guys in and out because of injuries or because of COVID or other factors. And that doesn't help, right? And we And we said... Well, do you want to go with the consistency route where you say it's easier to play against or play next to someone where you've been playing next to them all year? Or do you go the opposite where you say, well, this hasn't been working, so you might as well try a different combination of guys. And, you know, John LeGlue comes to mind when you when you mentioned that. Yeah. He had a great game, one great game against Baltimore, and ever since he's been below average. And I don't think that's too harsh of a, of a criticism to put onto him. But that's just the, the, the reality of this offensive line. You've tried both. You've tried mixing things up, and you've tried, the, you've tried lining up the same guys week after week, and neither has worked for you. And the guys you have available to you, no matter which combination you put out there, it's just a lack of talent. And 
that's where the common criticisms really start to become questionable is because how much, I think I'm stealing a term from you, how much can you polish crap, right? You used that in a previous episode. I've heard that used by a ton of people so far. Of yeah. course, but I think it's it's most apparent for this offensive line, how much can you really get out of this group of guys? It's very little. It's very little. Uh, one guy that I wish we would have seen a little bit more of was Kevin Dotson, because I think he has the highest ceiling out of all of them. But again, how high that ceiling is, is yet to be seen. Uh, Tomlin did leave the light on for him to potentially come back and return this week, which, I mean, I'm not exaggerating when I say that would be really, really welcomed, because... Mm-hmm. Like you said, John LeGlue, nice story, kind of like a folk hero kind of thing where he came in and had a decent run, but he's just been below the line ever yeah, since of then. And you need a guy it's like the same Dotson thing as Montrevis Adams. Yeah. Same he game. He has that one flash game where everybody's mm-hmm. like, oh, and then it's very quickly realized that he comes flying. It was right one back down time. It was a one time thing. I don't think, Tom, to wrap things up, I don't think it's outlandish to say A, Kendrick Green could be off the team in three years. And Trey Turner probably not returning next year. No, I also think it's not outlandish to say that if you can get one or two veterans, really solid veterans in there. My problem is is that you thought Trey Turner was going to be your veteran. uh, I'm talking about a guy that, like, really good isn't just like kind of floating through free agency and you pick him up on the scrap heap. I mean, like, you have to go out on day one and grab him. Like he's he's a hot. Steelers do. I think they lie within the top ten teams of cap space. So I want to see you him might spend you it. might have to spend a big chunk of that on one of those and guys. If they can get one or two of those guys that are for sure fire starter upper echelons, then you can kind of have the lesser guys lean on them and have mm-hmm. them kind of prop up that line, and they just become better as a unit because of one or two guys there that really know what they're doing. So, got to spend some money on that offensive line in this offseason. Look to the Chiefs. Look what they did in this offseason and look at how good their offensive line is and how young it is right now. I mean, they rebuilt it on the fly and now they're set for the next decade at that position. So take a note from their book and don't be afraid to spend money or draft capital really investing into that offensive line in this offseason. Mm-hmm. That'll do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. As always, we appreciate you guys giving us a listen. For Jacob Recht, I'm Tom Offerman, and we will talk to you next time.